near where y'all can hear. And uh, glad that Caleb made a good trip and was able to uh, get back here safely. And uh, we continue to pray for his grandfather on his father's side. I'm his grandfather on his mama's side. And uh, he has been blessed with a great-grandfather on his father's side, a great man of God. And uh, I've known him since Paige and Les got married, but uh, through these years I've come to appreciate him so much. Great servant of the Lord, and God's given him a rich uh, legacy, and we're grateful. Glad you're here. Open your Bible. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 12 to start with. Now, the other part of that is we're going to go chapter 1 pretty quick, and then we're going to kind of walk through 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's interesting to me that Paul wrote what we call the pastorals, you know, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. But really, the, the book of 1st Corinthians is the most pastoral letter that he wrote. Because he's writing to this church, and beginning at verse, uh, chapter 7, he is responding to uh, some questions that they have sent to him. Because he says, now concerning the things that you wrote me about. And so we know he did that. The other side of it is, he gets a report in chapter 1 about the church, and it's, got a, it's, a, it's in a mess. And so he's responding to that, and so he's concerned about those people, and he writes them this letter, and what he includes in this letter is relevant to all of us and to our, our lives right here today and to our church. And so that's why I want you to look at it with him. Now, he's going to use, or here in chapter 12, he uses his favorite metaphor for the church. And that is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And, and he uh, exercises that uh, analogy in a number of places. But here, in verse 12 of chapter 12, he says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, <clears throat> so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. <laughs> now, Paul, what Paul does is he develops the idea of diversity and unity in, 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 with reference to the spiritual gifts in 12, 13, and 14. But I want to use this, I want to draw from this and point out to you that he says that the body, uh, that the church has many members in its body. And uh, so as we are here, all of us are members of the body. Not just members of the church, we're members of the body of Christ. And, and you know, it's rather interesting to, to, to see uh, the various members in our body. I personally think God has a sense of humor. Now, if you don't believe that, just look around. I mean, the fact of the matter is we're all members of the body, but we don't look alike. That is to say, some of us, you know, are men, some are women, some are children. We got some that, uh, you know, are uh, kind of short people. And then we got some others like Caleb, and they've kind of grown up in the Lord. I mean, you got some folks here that are a little narrow people, you know what I mean? And then you got some others that have matured. I mean, the reality is simply this, that we're not all alike, but we are in the same body. Now, since we all know that we can have that kind of diversity and still be in one body, then we need to understand that spiritually speaking, we're not all at the same level of development and maturity either, and yet we are still in the same body. So I want to help you tonight. 
Because I, I, this, it took me a long time to come to understand this. When I became a pastor, and I didn't have a, a, a big history of this, I thought when you went to the church, everybody was loved Jesus, and everybody was there for the same reason, and that was to advance the kingdom of God. But what I discovered is, you know, some of these folks, they call themselves Christian, but they don't live like Christian. Now, whether or not they are a Christian, I don't know, because that's something only they and God know. But what I want to try to help you understand is some people who claim to be Christians can live and act differently than what you think a Christian ought to live because they have not matured. And so we are, our responsibility as the body of Christ is to help each other grow up in the Lord. And so that's part of what we're doing here tonight. And so when a man t- or person tells you that they are Christian, but they've done something that you are convinced is contrary to God's will, that doesn't mean they're not saved. It may mean that they're out of fellowship with God. And we're going to talk about how, how do you know when you're saved? And, and, and because Paul addresses it right here in this, uh, this story, this, uh, this, this book. Now, I've got this little box here, and in this little box, I have a sermon. And I refer to it as the block sermon. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I t- we, we know we've got different members. I'm going to bring out some members, and I'm going to share them with you. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to pay careful attention as to which ones relate to you, which ones you identify with. And because at the end of the service, if the Spirit of God leads, I'm going to ask you to come down here and point out which one is your block, okay? All right, so you, you realize you, you have to watch close here, and so you can pick out the one that, that uh, will be the least incriminating. Now, the first thing that I want to do is I want to share with you this member of the church right here. Now, I call this block Andy Average. And the reason I do you might have thought this was going to be a white block because, you know, the Bible tells us that all of our sin is under the blood of Jesus. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see us like this, but this is the way we are in our practical life every day. We're not white. And in fact, you know, we're still struggling, but we're not what we used to be either. And so what we find is Paul... Uh, has an interesting introduction to this book. Go back to chapter 1, and I want you to just look at how he introduces uh, uh, himself to the church. He says, Paul the Apostle, in verse 1, then in verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now, that verse is extremely instructive because twice he refers to them as being holy. The root word for sanctified and saint is hagias in in the Greek, and it means holy. In other words, they're set apart to God. He calls these people at Corinth saints. I mean, a lot of times uh, we talk to people and say, are you a saint? Oh, no, preacher, I'm a long way from being a saint. Well, now, wait a minute. What does the Bible say? I mean, we're talking about the fact that how do you get to be a saint? Well, you get to be a saint by coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the fact of the matter is our practical life a lot of times does not reflect that. That's why I'm trying to tell you that this this is the color for Andy because he's about average. I've talked to people and say, well, are you a Christian? And they respond to me and say, well, be honest with you, preacher, I I ain't much Christian. I mean, I joined the church. I accepted Christ. I joined the church. But I ain't been living like I should. 
In other words, they're acknowledging that they are stumbling. They've stumbled in their spiritual life. Are there some stumblers here tonight? It may be that you know that you're not living up to the call of God the way you should. And I'm here to tell you, take heart. There's hope for you. You're not lost because you made some bad choices. You're not lost because you're living with the consequences of the choices. I mean, the salvation is determined here in this passage. And look at what it says. He says they're saints by calling. They're sanctified. He says, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. How do you get to be a saint? You do so by asking Jesus to be Lord and Master in your life. Now, notice what I didn't say. I did not say you become a saint by being baptized. I did not say that you become a saint by joining the church. That's not what this verse says. It doesn't say anything about baptism or joining the church. What it does say, those who call upon the name of the Lord, their Lord and ours. And Paul writes in Romans that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what he's saying is, when you acknowledge, when you ask Jesus to come and be Lord in your life, then at that point, he comes into your life, he changes your life, and he begins the process of molding and shaping you to become like Jesus. At that point, you become a saint. That's what he's saying right here. But now, that doesn't mean that you're always going to do everything you're supposed to do. And I'm not trying to play that down. The goal is always to live a holy life. But now, he called these Corinthians saints, right? But when you read chapter 1... What you'll find is that Paul says that Chloe's people have given me uh, a word that there's a lot of division among you. Some saying I'm a Paul, some saying I'm a Peter, some saying I'm... And some of you are super spiritual and you're saying I'm of Christ. There was division in the church and yet he says that they're saints. When you get to chapter 3, what you find is that he says, I couldn't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, because there's conflict, there's, there's uh, uh, difficulty and, uh, among you. And, and so what he's saying, there's jealousy and envy among you, but he still calls them a saint. Now, if that's not enough for you, when you get over to chapter 5, he says, it is reported that there's immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind that doesn't even exist among the unbelievers. But it's in the church. He did not say that that unbeliever was lost. What he says is, you are spiritual to restore such a one, in Galatians. And and that's what he says here in in, in chapter 5, that they're to minister to this individual. Now... In chapter 7, what you find is that they're having disputes in their marriages. They're having conflict in their marriage. That doesn't mean they're lost. It simply means that they need to come to understand what God's plan is and do what God says. In chapter 8, there are, they're, they're fussing over what you can do. Some of them said, well, I think it's okay to go down to the uh, casino and eat because the food's good and it's cheap down there. And they'll say, oh, no, man, you can't be down at that casino. Well, that's not what he said. Go back and read chapter 8. Some of them are saying it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to an idol, and others are saying, no, you can't eat that meat. And Paul's saying, there's not anything wrong with the meat, but if you go do that and it causes somebody else to stumble in their faith, then you're guilty of hurting that believer and he says i'm not going to do anything that's going to cause anybody else to stumble i'm just telling you they had division and then when you get to chapter 11 you got the issue of the lord's supper 
He says, I cannot write and, and bless you about the Lord's Supper because there's some of you that are eating and you're becoming gluttonous and, and you come getting drunk drinking wine and there are other believers over here that don't have anything and you're not sharing with them. Read chapter 11. And what he's saying is that I can't, I can't commend you because you are, you're, you're actually sinning against your brother and, and, and sister in the church and so they've got that kind of issue going on. Now, in chapter 12, 13, and 14, there are some of them that said, my spiritual gift is better than your spiritual gift. I mean, read it. 12, 13, and 14. They were arguing about spiritual gifts as to which one was the greatest, and the people speaking in tongues were saying that they had the greater gift, and Paul is saying, no, the greatest gift is the, is the gift of prophecy, chapter 14. But the point I'm making is, they're having divisions. He calls them saints. And in chapter 15, the, the only doctrinal chapter in the entire book is about an argument over the resurrection. Some of them are saying there's no such thing as a resurrection. And in chapter 15, Paul says, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus has not been raised from the dead. And if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, you're still in your sin. And you're to be pitied. You get the picture? What I'm trying to help us see is, can a person be a, can, can a person claim to have a relationship with Christ and have inconsistencies in their life? The answer is yes. Why? Because you're not saved by performance. You're saved by your personal faith and relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now hear me carefully. You're not saved by performance, but when Jesus comes into your life, from that point forward, you want to begin to live, not in order to be saved, but because you've been saved, and you want to live to bring glory and honor to God. See what I'm saying? So, let's look at this thing a little bit. So, what we're looking at, and the average. Maybe you're here. You say, well, that's me, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm average. Well, let me just ask you. You glad about being average? Are you satisfied to be average? How many of you in here want to make average wage? I mean, you, you want to make the average of what everybody else makes? Uh, not on your life. I mean, I want, I, want, I, want to have, I want to get all I can get. I want, I, want to, I want to move up. Students here, when, you, when your mom and daddy ask you about your grades, you say, well, look, I'm going to make C's and D's because that's the average. See what they tell you. I mean, you see what I'm saying? And we don't want our kids to make average grades. We want them to excel. We want, we want to excel in every area. And so my question is, why do you want to be average in your spiritual life when you want to excel in every other life, area of your life? What I'm saying is, if we're going to excel, we ought to excel at the point of growing in Christ. Don't be Andy. Well, let me see. I got another here. Recognize this one? I call this one Dolly part-time. Because, you see, this one right here is just half of that one right there. I just took one of them little blocks and cut it in half, got me a dolly. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I have, through these years, I've tried to work with folks in churches, and what I've found is there are a lot of people who want to claim to be a Christian, but they want to do it on their terms. They want to come part-time. They want to give part-time. They want to serve part-time. 
They, they want their, their Christian life to be convenient to them. But I'm here to challenge you. Take the Word of God. You take this book. And you find some place in here where it says that God is going to be satisfied with your part-time service. Not there, is it? In fact, we have a saying. If he's not Lord of all, he's what? He's not Lord at all. Well, the reality is we make him Lord, but we need to grow, and we don't need to be part-time people uh, serving God. We need to be full-time serving the Lord and, and, and part-time folks. Let me tell you where you find this. Get on the nominating committee. Uh, you've been on there, haven't you? I mean, when you go to talk to people about serving, they'll say, well, they'll give you ever uh, they'll, they'll suggest to all these other people, let them do something. Are you listening? I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Everyone in this room who's a member of this church ought to be serving somewhere. I didn't say serving in Sunday school. I didn't say serving in missions group. I didn't say, I, somewhere you need to find a place where you can plug in and live your life for the glory of God and make a difference in this community. But the fact of the matter is that 80% of the work in the church is being done by how many people? 20%. Exactly. Which means that 80% of the people are doing what? Zero. This may be a wake-up call, right? You know what it's going to take to reach this community? It's going to take every one of us sharing our life, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in our daily walk out there in the world every day. And if we're not doing that, all of us doing that, then we're not going to penetrate the darkness that needs to be uh, eliminated from their lives. And so I'm just telling you, part-time people, a bunch of those folks out there uh, in this world as well. So now, I've got another one here. And uh, let me see where it is here. Oh, here, there it is right there. Recognize this one? This guy's got a back problem. There's a yellow streak down it. I call him Charlie Coward. I'm apologizing to all Charlies here. But, but that's the, the truth. The, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of folks in the church, and they, they said, I'm going to trust God with my salvation. I'm going to ask Jesus to save me. But now. Preacher, don't call on me to pray. Don't ask me to share my faith because I can't do that. Hello. How do you know you can't? Well, I just know I can't. You know, what does the Bible say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means that you can share your faith. It means you can pray in public. It means you can give. 10% of your income and trust God. You can do even more than that and let God bless you. But it's amazing to me how many times I run into and encounter this obstacle where people say, well, I just don't see how we can do that. Let me ask you something. Are you going to do only what you see that you can do? Or are you willing to trust God to show you what he can do if you're willing to step out by faith and follow him? I want to tell you, we, are, we live by faith and not by sight. If you can see that it can be done, then you're never going to do anything beyond what you yourself can do. But I will tell you this, if you will step out by faith, God will amaze you at what he can do. It is absolutely amazing. 
I wish I had time to tell you some of the stories that Dorothy and I have uh, experienced of trusting God. I'll just give you this one insight. We loaded up my wife and our four young'uns and moved to New Orleans Seminary in New Orleans, Louisiana. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a church. I had nothing, and we had very little in the bank. In fact, almost none there. But God had told me I needed to go and work on my doctorate. And so I talked with Ray Frank Robbins, whom I graded for, and he said, well, if you come this fall, I I want you to be my fellow. And so I moved down there. And I went, we went in July, and I went from August, September, October, November, December. It was January before God opened the door for me to serve in a church as pastor. God met every need. Now, there were some times when he got down real close, but God never failed. I'm sharing that with you simply to tell you, if you will trust God, he will lead you and supply you you, and provide for you in everything you need. But you got to trust God. Churches need to learn this. Through these years, I have led churches to, to, to do things, to build buildings and expand ministries. And I want to tell you, I don't think I've ever led a church to do a single one of those that there were not some folks that were saying, well, I don't know how in the world we're going to pay for it. I didn't either. But God did. And God led us victoriously forward. So I'm just telling you, in your personal life, in your church life, learn to trust God and follow him, obey him. Well, let's see what we got here. Got another one of these average folks. We got plenty of them. Put that out there. Well, here's one. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There is immorality among you. It's reported that there's immorality among you. And of such that is not even found in the, in the Gentiles. As does not exist among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. So there's a person living in an immoral relationship. And Paul is calling that person out. And what he's saying is... He's calling the church out, not the person. He's saying that you need to be doing something about this, but they're saying that we are broad-minded about it. Look at verse 2. And yet you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who had done this uh, deed might be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent from the body but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has no, who has committed, so committed this as though I were president, present. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. Now Paul is saying, you're, you're tolerating this. You're allowing this to go on even though you know that it is wrong. And consequently, you need to deal with this. Now, the two parts that I want to point out to you. Number one is this. The church has a responsibility for church discipline. And and it's something that you've got to be very careful with, but it is something that we need to seriously consider. When there is an obvious and well-attested fact of someone who is violating God's Word, it may be immorality, it could be in some other area, then the church needs to call that person to count. I mean, even a pastor in chapter, uh, in, in, in uh, Second Corinthians, Paul deals with that. Uh, that uh, 
I'm, I'm getting ahead of my, And Timothy, he, he deals with that. If a, if a leader is guilty, then, then they need to be held accountable. And I'm saying to you, we need to hold each other accountable. But you've got to be real careful because it's not hearsay. I've had these people come to me and say, Preacher, you need to go talk to so-and-so. I said, why? Well, they, they're having this kind of relationship, and, and you, know, uh, you, you know for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, have you talked to them? Oh, no, 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 I haven't talked to them. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I don't know anything about it. You say you know something about it. You're a fellow brother to them. You go talk to them. And then if they won't listen to you, then you come talk to me. And I'll go with you. Because Matthew 18 says what? You go to your brother. If he won't listen to you, then you get somebody else to go with you. And if he won't listen to the two of you, then you bring it to the church. But it's amazing how many people want to load that on the preacher rather than dealing. And I, and I told him, I said, he's your friend. I don't know anything about it. He's your friend. Now, if you love him, you need to do that. You need to help him to see what's going on in his life and to get it corrected or her, if it's a her. So that's one part of it. Now, the other part of it is that here in the church is someone who is guilty of a heinous, immoral act. Can that happen to a believer? Yes, it can. Don't ever think you're above it. I mean, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, Let him who thinks he stands to take heed lest he fall. I mean, the reality is simply that it can happen to you. Now, Dorothy and I have gone through this. Our youngest daughter came back from the mission field, married a preacher boy that she had known at uh, William Carey College. And two months after their baby was born, he took off with another woman. So I'm telling you, it's heartbreaking to see this happening in the church. And what I'm sharing with you is just one antidote. There are so many stories of things just like that, of pastors, of deacons, of leaders, of just normal people who let the devil get to them. And if you are in some kind of a relationship tonight that is improper, I'm telling you before God, you need to get out of that. It is not worth it. And God is not going to honor your life until you make it right. And let me tell you something else. It starts not when you get in the bedroom. It starts in your mind. So young people, it matters what you are looking at. It matters what you are watching in TV. It matters what you're going to the movies. Adults, it matters what you are reading. It matters how you fill your mind with the stuff of this world. You can't fill your mind with those kinds of things and not be tempted to get become involved in it. Vicarious participation is as guilty as actually doing it in the eyes of God. Because Jesus says, if you look upon another person to lust after them, you have already committed it in your heart. I'm just saying here it's members of the church. And there may be somebody here tonight. And you've allowed the enemy to seduce you, to deceive you, and to seduce you. And I'm saying the Bible tells us to repent. It can happen to us. It's not the end of the world. But I can tell you, if you will repent now and begin to make things right, it'll be a whole lot better than if you wait on down the way and then it's found out and God has to deal with you at that point in time. So now, we've got another one of these part-time people here. Put that one up there. Then, we've got another one here. Recognize this? As a green block, it stands for the green-eyed sin of jealousy. Now, this one right here makes a lot to do about this one right here. 
And, and so there are, a lot, there are people that want to talk about these kinds of things, you know, about what somebody else is doing in their life. But here it is in, in 1 Corinthians. Look at it in chapter 3. In verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? Now, the reality is simply this. That we need to grow up, and we need to get over some things. I mean, the, and really, I mean, it's amazing how we wear our, our feelings on our sleeve, and, and just did, uh, you know, don't want anybody. We dare somebody to knock it off. I, I look, I've, I've dealt with this for a while. I, I, in my in my first church, you know, I got up and I was bragging on these folks that were serving the Lord, and doing good. I thought, man, that, that's what you want to encourage your people. I got to the door, people coming out. Person came to me and said, you didn't say nothing about what I did last week or, or last month. You didn't say nothing. About, you can't call everybody by name. The best one, though, was with this lady. We were in this church I was serving, and the pulpit was about this high up. I mean, it's higher up like this. You get the idea, about four feet, four or five feet up. And had a table like this, had flowers on that table. Now, I'm behind the pulpit right here, and I am not lying when I tell you I couldn't even see the flowers from the pulpit where I was. And uh, so I'm back in the front for you. She's coming out. I'm shaking hands. And, uh, and so she <clears throat> did that number to me. And I said, reached out there, and I got her on that, you know, fleshy part of her arm there. And I said, hold on there, sir. What's your problem? She said, you hurt my feelings. I said, how's that? She said, I put flowers in the church today, and you didn't say nothing about it. And I said, well, you know, I didn't see the flowers until I got back here. They're lovely flowers, and I appreciate you doing it. Well, you still hurt my feelings. And I said, wait a minute. I said, tell me something. You're a Christian, aren't you? Boy, when I said that, <laughs> she was like an old cat that had water thrown on it. I mean, she bristled up at me. And I said, uh, she said, I sure am. I said, well, now, if you're a Christian, then that means you have died in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches, that you have died in Christ. Now, if you've died in Christ, where you got any feelings to hurt? You go down there at the morgue, ain't any of those folks uh, got feelings? You see what I'm saying? The whole idea is that if you get your feelings hurt, then it's because you're on the throne of your life, not Jesus. And that's why I'm telling you, you need to get over some things. One of the things that God is helping me with... And I want to tell you, it's taken a lot of time working on this. Is for me not to react when people say or do things that offend me. And I want to tell you, through my life, I've had some situations like that. But God has kind of helped me to understand, Gene, it's not them. It is the enemy trying to work through them. And, and what you need to do is you need to show grace. Caleb was talking about earlier. Grace, we need to show grace, be patient and show grace, and that's precisely what we need to do. And I've got a feeling that our, our fellowship and our ability to reach the community would be enhanced if we did. Because the Bible says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. But now you know, as well as I know, you can look this county over and you're going to find church after church that is split and divided and they got all kinds of problems because the members are not getting along. 
I didn't say anything about this church because I don't know anything about you. But I want to tell you, I have dealt with a bunch of them through the years. And I'm just telling you, there's some folks like this, and this may be you, who don't watch what they say. They say, well, I just got to be me. No, you ain't. You ain't got to be you at all. In fact, you don't not, you're not supposed to be you. You're supposed to be Jesus. It's supposed to be Jesus that's living through you. And, and Jesus can help you temper your tongue, and Jesus can help you to say those things that are encouraging and upbuilding rather than those things that are destructive and, hard, and, and, and damaging. And so we got some of those folks. Well, we got another one in here. Let me see if I can find this one. Recognize this one? It's actually a little brighter than that one right there. But it's got something hit. It's got black spots on the head. This is the person who has unconfessed sin in their life. Do you know how you can find out if you've got unconfessed sin in your life? Let your baby get sick. And the doctor tell you, I don't think she's going to make it. And what do you do? You go to the prayer room at the hospital. And you get on your knees. And you begin to cry out to God to spare your baby's life. And that's exactly what Dorothy and I did when Caleb's mama was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. As it turned out, she didn't have spinal meningitis, but measles or something like that had settled in her... Roseola had settled in her, her spine, and that's what it was. But I want to tell you, when I got on my knees in that p- prayer room, everything I had done, all the things that I had rationalized and said were all right, all the things that I was doing that I wanted to do that I knew God didn't want me to do, they were like a ceiling. They were like a steel wall above me, and I didn't think God was hearing me because my sin, my, my sin in my life was keeping me away from God. Your sins, the Bible says, separate you and God. It's not that God can't hear. It's just your fellowship is broken, and you don't have the faith to believe that God's going to do it. That's the reason I'm telling you, if you've got any of these other things in your life, get them out. Unconfessed sin. I don't know what it may be. I just know this. Unconfessed sin will have a damaging effect in your life. And you need to deal with it now. Don't harbor it any longer. Whatever it is, you tell God. You ain't got to tell anybody else. Although I will tell you this, that it is a scientific fact that you are going, you're probably not going to be free from some of the things in your past, in your younger years, you're not going to be free until you can ventilate that and to declare it to somebody else. That's the reason psychologists and psychiatrists have a business, because people need to be set free. But what I'm saying to you is, allow God to give you the freedom as you confess it to Him. And if out of that, then you, uh, He sets you free, and you don't need the additional help, don't get it. But if you do, go get it. There's another one in there I want you to see. Recognize this one? This is a white block, isn't it? You see how much difference it is? This is a white block. Now, you know who this is? This is a hypocrite. You didn't know this was a hypocrite? Well, I'm, I'm told all the time, we've got all kinds of hypocrites down at church. And I want to tell you, 
If you have said that or say that, you wouldn't know one if you met them because you didn't know this was a hypocrite. <laughs> you see, on the outside, it's white. But on the inside, it's black. And Jesus describes Pharisees hypocrites. On the outside, you're like a white sepulcher. But in your heart, you're dead. And that's reality. That's precisely the case with people who do not know Christ. They are dead in their sin. A lot of people try to dress up. I mean, they try to do a lot of religious activity. And this makes describe you. They, they, they do all the things that they think they're supposed to do in order for them to be accepted. But I want to tell you, the only thing God accepts is the blood of Jesus. And until you put your life under the blood of Jesus, God will never see you white like this. But when you come to Christ, when you give your life to Jesus, then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all sin. And though our sins are as, as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And I'm just saying to you that if you have never really established a relationship with Jesus Christ where you confessed and yielded your life to him as Lord and Savior then you don't have a relationship with God because the Bible makes it clear that's how you get it. I read that to you very, at the very beginning in chapter 1 and verse 2. These people that are saints. And so there's some folks that think they're saved, but they're not really saved because they're counting on their own goodness or their own activity to save them. But there's some other folks, and they're black, all black. These are the folks that, have, that do not know Christ, and unfortunately, some of them do not know that they don't know Christ, but many of them do know that they don't know Christ. But the fact is that without a relationship with Jesus, there's no salvation. Here in chapter 2, at the end of it, Paul says in verse 14, but a natural man, that's the person that doesn't have a spiritual walk, a relationship with God. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. Now, here's the, the, the issue. The person who does not know God will never come to know God by himself. The Bible makes it clear. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will convict or convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And when he convinces, when he shows us our spiritual need, that's when we need to come to Christ. Until we do that, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, I, I'm saying this because I, I have the idea sometimes that people think, well, one of these days I'm going to make that decision. In fact, I've had people tell that to me. But they don't understand. No, you don't one day wake up and say, I'm going to get saved today. You don't get saved when you get ready. You get saved when the Holy Spirit of God moves in your heart. And if the Holy Spirit of God is not moving in your heart, I don't care what you do. You're not going to be born again. You're not going to be transformed in your heart. It ain't going to happen. The Holy Spirit makes that happen. Now, if the Holy Spirit is convincing you, helping you to see, I need to put Jesus in my life then you need to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and my life tonight. You need to do it right now because Paul writes, no man calls Jesus Lord but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit is calling you, that's why you need to do it today, right tonight. And I pray that you will. I got one other block.
Recognize this one? That's a gold block. Now, believe it or not, this was a bright gold at one point. But there are all these other blocks in here been beating around on it, kind of like life itself. And so it's not as bright as it was, but it's still a gold block. There are some of you, when you come up here tonight, you can pick this block up. I know that because I, through these years, I've preached this sermon a number of times. And I was down in Lincoln County to preach this message. I did it, I think, later in the week, maybe like Tuesday night. Back then, we went a whole week to Friday. And, uh, but at any rate, this little lady had been there all the time. I don't know how old she was, but I can tell you, a hundred wasn't far off. And uh, so she comes down, but she didn't walk down. She comes down like this. She's got her a stick, and she's, she's, she's going like this right here. And she comes down to me, and she says, Brother Gene, I think I could pick up that gold block. And I said, I believe you could too, sugar. Here, I'm going to give it to you. I mean, faithful, pillars. This church is here because some people were willing to make the sacrifice. There have been some folks that are willing to do the work. And some of you in here may need to and be able to come pick up that gold block. I want you to pick it up. And if you can't pick it up, I want you to determine I'm going to live my life in such a way that in the days ahead in the future, if I'm given an opportunity, I will be able to pick up that gold block. Now, time to decide, isn't it? Which block? Shall we start on the front row up here? Usually I have some deacons I can pick at about being up here on the front row. No, we better start at the back because those folks in the back rows, they'll be, they'll be slipping out while, while the rest of us are coming down here. Now, I think you understand that I'm not going to ask you to come pick up a block because I don't have to. You see, you've already picked it up in your mind. God's already shown you what, what blocks relate to you. And I've had people come to me after this uh, sermon and say, Preach, I don't need a wheelbarrow because I, I had to pick a ball up. I understand. But now listen to me carefully. It's not a matter of acknowledging your need. You have to start there. But you'll walk out of here just as lost, or you'll walk out of here just as confused, you'll walk out of here just as much in bondage as you came in. If all you do is acknowledge your need and not yield your life to God. The time of invitation is a time for response. A time for you to yield your life, to say to God, God, I'm taking my hands off of my life. I'm letting you have control. Lord, I'm repenting and I'm, I, I'm, I'm rejecting the thing in my life that's been binding me. I, I'm giving it over to you. I can't handle it, but I know you can. And I'm committing tonight to let you handle it. I don't know what it may be, but you and God know. And I pray that you'll let him have his way, okay? We're going to pray. After we have our prayer, then we're going to sing. And as we sing, it'll be your time to respond. You can stay right where you are. I know that. But there's something about acting out your decision. Something about coming to the altar. Something about coming to the pastor. Something about, you know, acknowledging it that will strengthen you to be able to live it out tomorrow. So I'm going to ask you, don't just stand where you are 
and say, God, you know my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this better. I'm going to be better at this. I'm telling you, you need to come forward for two reasons. Number one, acting it out will reinforce it. Number two is when people see you come forward, they don't know what your decision is. And by the way, there are a whole lot of blocks up here other than that red one. I've had some people say to me, Preacher, I was going to come down there, but I, I didn't want anybody to think I was that red block. I'm just telling you, a lot of blocks down here. And what you need to do is you need to, to let, get, let God get that out of your life and, and, and turn it over to him, okay? Holy Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in worship tonight. Thank you for your presence here. And Lord, even now as we come to a time, a season when we respond to what you are doing, Lord, we pray that you would give grace and strength to each one here who needs to give their life to you. Lord, give strength to those who need to turn loose of their life and let you have control of their life. Lord, I pray that you will give strength to those who need to turn loose of some habits or some activities or maybe even some friends or some relationships that don't need to be. So, Lord, would you work tonight in the lives of each one of us here and in this time, Lord, in this invitation, let your will be done. And, Lord, we pray for the victory that we have in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, and as we sing, just as I am, you come.